verse 2 through the end of the chapter. So let me read to you now the story that, um, that we're looking at. Have you ever been watching a television program and, um, and you, you can tell it's the, this show is getting ready to end, but we are not at a good stopping point, right? And then like the show ends and it's this really dramatic moment and, and it, then it says, you know, to be continued next week, right? And you're like, oh. and, and I know that those of us who are, who are now watching our shows on Netflix, all we have to do is just wait, you know, five seconds for the next episode. But some of us remember the Batman episode would end and you had to wait until next week to know whether or not Batman was going to survive. What's happening here as we're preaching through the book of Acts? Last week, we kind of ended in one of those moments like, Paul's getting ready to address this mob that just tried to kill him. What's going to happen? Well, we're picking up here where we left off last week, okay? Acts chapter 22, verse 2. And when they heard that Paul was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem, educated at the feet of of Gamaliel. That would be like saying, Einstein taught me science, right? I mean, he's learning theology at the feet of Gamaliel. According to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. And Paul is saying, look, the, the, the current high priest and council of elders that you know, they know me. They can testify that this is true. From, then, from them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way to Damascus and drew near to Damascus, about noon, during the brightest part of the day, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came to Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, that's, a, that's referring to Jesus, to see the righteous one, Jesus, and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem, 
and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance, and I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word they listened to me then. They raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth. He should not be allowed to live. What was the word? Gentiles, yeah. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be given a lie detector test. (laughs) Examined by flogging. Let's find out what's really going on here, to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion, you can just see him kind of looking over his shoulder, right? Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? This man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came to him and said, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes, The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. What he's saying is I had to bribe with a lot of money to get this citizenship. But Paul said, I'm a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Father, help us now as we look into your word. Please really help us to see and feel what we need to see and feel from this passage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's fun to hang out with somebody who is as zealous and passionate about things as you are. Right Now, many of you know the kinds of things that I'm passionate about and zealous about. And many of you in this room are zealous and passionate about the same sorts of things. And there are certain ones of you in here that when we get together, we are going to talk about those things that we're zealous about, right? So if Doug and I get together, if AJ and I get together, if Levi and I get together, we are going to talk about cross-stitch. Because all of us are so passionate about cross-stitching. And our favorite show, Dancing with the Stars, I mean, these are the things... That we, no, no, right? What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about hunting. That's right. We're going to talk about hunting. That, we're very zealous and passionate about that. We like being around people that are zealous about the same things we are, but sometimes we find it annoying when you hang out with someone who is zealous about something that you aren't zealous about, right? Those people who keep talking about whatever the thing is. And for some of you, the annoying thing is hunting, right? And you're like, I don't care. I don't want to talk about that. how many inches of horn growth that deer net scored. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's, you would be the person who would be annoyed by that kind of conversation, right? To be around someone who's really, really zealous about something that you're not can be really, really annoying, But to be zealous together with someone can be really fun and really encouraging. To be around someone who's really zealous for the things of the Lord, is that 
annoying to you or is it encouraging to you? When we look at the life of Paul, we see someone who is really zealous. He's really fired up. He's really excited about the things of God, about the things of the Lord. I I can recall at times being around people who were really zealous and really passionate for God, and they annoyed me. Right? You you almost kind of like roll your eyes on the inside, like they're talking about, like, I don't, you know, what, what are they, who, who do they think they are? They think they're some kind of Mr. Spiritual, right? I mean, they, they think I don't love Jesus too. I remember when I was a young man, there was, I was interacting with a guy in a work setting one time, and he was getting ready to leave, and he said, hey, before I go, can I share a Bible verse with you? And of course, on the outside, I was like, well, sure. And on the inside, I was like, why would you share a Bible verse with me? I, I, I can share my own Bible verses. Thank you very much. Um, what that showed me, it showed a lot about my own heart and the sinfulness of my own heart. Sometimes we're uncomfortable around people who are zealous for God. And these, these last few chapters in the book of Acts are one, from, from chapter 21 through chapter 28, about a third of the whole book of Acts is kind of this last grand scheme, um, scene in the life of Paul. And we see a man who is extremely zealous for the things of God. And I think sometimes we look at the life of Paul and we go, his life was so different than mine that there's nothing comparable. There's nothing that corresponds. There's really nothing that I can learn from him because, I mean, he was an apostle. I'm not an apostle. He was a traveling missionary evangelist. I'm not a traveling missionary evangelist. He he was persecuted for what he believes. I'm not persecuted. He stands before Caesar, which we're getting to here in a little bit, like the most powerful emperor of the day. I mean, he he gets he gets a, a a front row seat to telling the president of the United States about Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, what we're going to see here in the life of Paul is something that we need to see for our own lives as well, and that's this: an, an encounter with God will change your life. And in a, a real and true encounter with God absolutely will change your life. Every word in that sentence is chosen on purpose. A real encounter with God will, not might, not should, not could, will change your life. What we're going to do this morning is going to look through the story, and then we're going to make some observations about it. I'm going to give an overview of the story, and then uh, that's going to be point number one if you're taking notes. And then point number two, I'm going to make some observations about this story. When you're preaching through uh, a story like this, when you're preaching through narrative, sometimes it can be hard to have point one, point two, point three. And so instead of me trying to cram this story into, into those three points, I'm just going to, we're going to do a flyover of the actual story, and then we're going to um, make some observations about it. We left off last week. Paul um, goes into Jerusalem, and the, the Jews that have come from all over Asia have come into Jerusalem, and they, and they are, for, they are uh, fuming mad at Paul because they're saying he is th- telling us that, that we can throw away the, uh, the Old Testament law and the way of Judaism. And what Paul is saying is this, the, keeping these laws isn't what makes you clean before God. 
And he's saying, in fact, those of you who are Gentiles who are now followers of the one true God and in Jesus the Messiah, you don't have to adopt all of these laws. Um, That the way we are made clean before God is not through the law, but the way we are made clean before God is through Jesus Christ. And as he's teaching this, people are upset with him. And so this mob comes against him, and Paul, only by his empowerment by God, stands before, like they, they, they are beating him up. The, the Roman soldiers come in and protect him from the unruly mob. And as they're calling him away, Paul says, stop, I want to address this crowd. I mean, imagine what's going on in your head. Like if, if a crowd just tried to beat me up and the police show up to take me away, I want the police to take me away, far away. I don't feel like addressing the people who were just trying to kill me. Paul is a zealous man, though. And he has a response to the crowd. So first thing we'll look at here under the overview, as we walk through the overview, is Paul's response to the crowd. As Paul starts to talk to the crowd in verse 3, he tells them, look, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia. I'm brought up, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, and I am zealous for God, just like many of you are this day. Paul is saying this, look, I have been and am one of you. I, in fact, I have a better, I'm, I have, I'm a better Jew than you are. I'm Jewier than you. Right? It's, come, it's almost like, the, you know, when you start telling stories back and forth and you one-up each other, right? Well, you think that was bad. Well, I had to walk uphill both ways in the snow to school every morning when I was, you know, four years old. Well, you think that was bad. Well, I had to eat gravel every day, for, right, right? Back and forth, back and forth. Paul is kind of one-upping them and saying, look, you, you Jews who are zealous for the things of God, let me tell you something. My credentials um, are, are, are greater than yours. And in fact, the zeal that you have right now the passion that you have to protect the Judaism that you know and to protect the Old Testament scriptures as you understand them by killing me, I know what that's like. I've been that zealous for the things of God as well. My credentials outshine yours. My zeal has matched yours. And in fact, even the high priests and the whole council of the elders can give you testimony that I am that guy. They were the ones who gave him the letters to go into Damascus to find people who were followers of Jesus and to bring them back to Jerusalem to be punished. And in verse 6, verse 6 through 21, Paul tells them his personal story, his real life account. Don't you like hearing real life true stories from people? It's, it, um, when I'm preaching... And I use an illustration um, that I got off of the internet. Some of you will pay attention. But when I start telling a story from my own life, everyone pays attention. Like I can see it on your faces when I start telling you a true life story from my own. And we all do that with each other, right? You're having lunch with somebody and they start telling you stories about their past. Like you're, you're tuned in. Paul starts telling them the story of his own life. He says, as I was on my way to Damascus, this great light shone around me. A voice came from heaven. Who are you persecuting? You know, uh, what are you doing, Paul? Why are you persecuting me? And I didn't know who this guy was. And so I said, who are you, Lord? I speak very respectfully to him. And then the voice from heaven, which I'm clearly understanding to be a voice from God, says to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth. 
And suddenly, Paul realizes the people that I'm persecuting, they're actually the ones who are right, and I'm wrong. Have you you ever realized in a moment that what you were absolutely certain of, you were wrong about? Right? You tell your wife, I know that this road will get us there. Absolutely certain. Right? And then after hours, you realize, um, this road would get me there eventually, right? Yeah. If you go around the planet, it might get you back to the right place. How many of you know this, the movie, um, uh, is it called Megamind? What's the cartoon? Megamind, what's it called? Is that the name of the movie, right? And in, in the, uh, nod your head if you've seen the movie Megamind. Yes, okay, right? So he says, this is one of my favorite parts of the movie. He, you've seen it, right? And he says, he's arguing with his little assistant, and he's like, okay. He realizes that he was absolutely wrong about something. He goes, you were right. I was less right. <laughs> he can't bring himself to say wrong. And Paul is having this moment where, on the road to Damascus, it's not just that he was wrong about what road to take or what, you know, like some, something relatively inconsequential. He realizes that the thing he's given all of his passion for is wrong, and he's got to do an absolute 180 at the core of who he is and what he believes. And he's sharing this with these Jewish, with these Jewish people, right? He's telling them his own personal salvation testimony. He... he um, and, and so he, he uh, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord says, rise and go to Damascus, and you're going to meet a man there named Ananias. And he goes to the house of Ananias, this devout man. And Ananias explains to him what is happening and says, rise and be baptized. Uh, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Right? So, so he's explaining to him how you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And some have misunderstood this verse to mean to think that baptism is what saves you. But if you read this verse, it's clear that we wash away our sins by calling on his name. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. Baptism is the outward expression of that inward reality. So here, Paul now realizes, okay, I was wrong. And he does what many of us would have uh, immediately done and realized, okay, I need to go tell all the people that I was wrong with that they're wrong, and God's going to now use me to fix all of their problems. But here, verses 17 through 21, you'll remember earlier in Acts chapter 9, Paul, we actually get the first-hand account of Paul's road to Damascus experience. Verses 17 through 21 aren't included in that in that part of it. This is the only place that verses 17 through 21 are included. When I returned to Jerusalem, was was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance, right? And, and remember, Paul is addressing these Jews, and so they would have been, this would have been something that would have encouraged, uh, impressed them, if you will. Paul is a man who goes to the temple in Jerusalem. He's praying there. I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly. So God comes to Paul and says, get out of Jerusalem. And what does Paul do? Well, the first thing he does is argue. When I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me, I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. 
And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, right, so Paul's saying, no, look, they know I'm bad, but I'm going to, uh, that I was wrong. I want to I correct the wrongs that I've made. And God says, no, no, leave, get out of here. And then verse 21, and he said to me, right, so here Paul, everyone's listening just quietly and politely like you are right now. I think they actually were listening very attentively, like, okay, what, what's, he, what's he saying? What's he going to say next? And he's, as he's telling the story in verse 21, he said to me, Paul is recounting, that God said to him, go, for I will send you far away to the... Right? He uses the G word. Gentiles. This has been the rub all along. This is why the crowd came against him in the first place. That you took the 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 God of our fathers, the 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 um the uh, uh, Yahweh God, to the Gentiles. No, He is our God. We are His people. They're not supposed to be part of us. We're not supposed to be part of them. Verse twenty-two. And up to this word, they listened to Him. The cr- how does the crowd respond? The, the crowd's response to Paul to us seems disproportionate, right? Like here they are ready to kill him again. And it seems that they're opposed to Paul primarily, not even because he claims that Jesus is the Messiah, but because this Messiah is offered to the Gentiles. Now, brothers and sisters, most of us, if not all of us, I think probably all of us in here are... Gentiles. I don't know that we have any pure-blooded descendants, descendants of Abraham in here this morning, any, any um, national Jews in here. So, so here we, obviously, are the ones who benefit from this. The crowd up to this point had listened to him, and now they are ready to kill him again. They were shouting, throwing off their cloaks, flinging dust into the air. This is, um, they're signaling, we're getting ready to throw down again, right? You know, it's, it's kind of like the, you know, the guy takes his coat off, right? Don't make me take my coat off. Don't make me roll my sleeves up. Don't make me take my tie off. Okay, man, here we go, right? They're, they're throwing off their cloaks. They're throwing dust in the air. Like, this is a moment. And the Roman soldiers who are there respond to the crowd. And once again, the bad guys come to the rescue, right? The Romans intervene. They literally have to carry, they're carrying him away. And the, verse 24, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging. And just in case you're wondering what that means, that's like interrogation using um, torture. We're not sure why everybody's so upset with this guy. Let's find out. We want him to tell us why. And just to make sure that we get the right answer out of him, like we're going to, we know how to, we know how to get what we need out of people, right? The Romans were, were not novices at torture or getting what they needed to get out of people. And so you can imagine that these hardened soldiers, these, uh, these, you know, the tribune and the, the one in charge of this, the centurion in, in charge of these men would, and this is part of a day's work. Let's examine him. Uh, let's use the flogging technique, okay? You guys get him stretched out and ready, and I'll be in there in a minute. We'll find out what we need to find out about this guy. They have a way of making people talk, and it's called the whip. And it would have been a scourging very similar to what Christ himself received prior to going to the cross. And here we see Paul again. And Paul, this is interesting here. 
Paul is willing to suffer, but he's also, it doesn't seem like he's a glutton for punishment, right? Like he's not just going to like, well, they're going to, he, he is stretched out, ready for the whips, and he says to the centurion, hey, do you, do you mind just checking the manual, right? I think it's paragraph, section three, paragraph two, um, article one that says, thou shalt not whip a Roman citizen. Can you just check that for me real quick, right? You can imagine and hear this Roman guard um, uh, realizes, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Um, when the centurion heard this in verse 26, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? This, this man is a Roman citizen, right? And, and Paul wisely, in this scenario, avoids the blows of the whip. And uh, the tribune even says to him, I bought this citizenship for a large sum of money. And we've come to understand historically that Roman citizenship actually wasn't something that you could purchase. So what he's saying is, I illegally bribed someone to get this, which means he probably paid literally a fortune to have the legal standing that Paul had. And Rome, with all of its horrible vices, was actually good to its people. Right? We, we will treat foreigners with the whip. We will treat people who we think deserve to be treated with the whip that way. But we're not going to treat ourselves that way. We're, we're Romans. We're better than that. Paul plays the Rome card, right? He's got the, whatever his first century equivalent to the, you know, his driver's license, he pulls it out, and, uh, and the soldiers cease, cease what they're getting ready to do to him. Okay, that's the story. That obviously, it doesn't stop there. That's where we're tying it off for this week, uh, this, this installment this week. What, what are some observations that we can make about Paul in this moment? Because if you're like me, we might read a story like this and think there's, not, there's really nothing applicable. Paul is an apostle. He literally has God speaking to him directly. In fact, his salvation testimony is totally different than mine. He was walking down a road when a blinding light and a booming voice from heaven arrests his attention, stops him in his tracks, right? Like, I was a kid. I was at vacation Bible school. They asked me if I wanted to know Jesus. I raised my hand. Like, like there's nothing comparable there. And then, you know, here he is facing unruly mobs and facing Roman soldiers and that sort of thing. And like, I have to go to the grocery store and pick my kids up from school and, you know, get my accountant to, you know, figure out my taxes. And like, my life is in no way comparable to the life of Paul. And what I want us to see is that in two of the most important areas, Paul's story is your story. In, in what I think are the two most significant parts of what's going on in the life of Paul here this morning, his life is actually a window into what our lives can and should be like. So the first thing I want to do is communicate clearly this. So now we're in our observations. Yeah. So the first one is this. Your testimony is like Paul's testimony. Your testimony is actually more like Paul's testimony than it is unlike Paul's testimony. You weren't walking on a road. You didn't see a blinding light. You didn't have an audible voice. You didn't have to go to Ananias' house, that sort of thing. But the big picture of what God is doing in Paul's life is a similar understanding to what God did in your life when you went from being an enemy of God 
to being a child of God. Paul was on his way to Damascus to do what? Yeah, to kill, to destroy. He was an enemy of God. And after God's um, interaction, intervention, um, regeneration in Paul's life, Paul is now a servant of God. And brothers and sisters, that is your story as well. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. I don't always have you turn to a lot of different scriptures. This morning I'm going to have you turn to a couple of different scriptures. Ephesians chapter 2 is describing us before our conversion and after our conversion. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, describing you and me, says this, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. What was Paul doing on that road to Damascus? He was walking. You and I walked in our trespasses and sins. We were following, verse 2, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Who is the prince and power of the air and the spirit that works, that's now at work in the sons of disobedience? Who is that? It's Satan. So listen, brothers and sisters, you're a bunch of really nice people. I like every single one of you in here, mostly. I mean, I like all of you a lot, and some of you I like a little. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, but here's how God describes you. Stop thinking about anyone else in this room for a moment and understand that Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, describe you prior to conversion. You were alive and you were living and you were walking and you were following someone, but it wasn't your nice parents or your Sunday school teacher or Jesus. You're born into this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, verse 3, among whom we all once lived. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You. There's a lot of people in this room who are far nicer than I am. Right? There's really, really nice people in here. And sometimes it's hard for us to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and actually think that it's describing me or, or yourself. But the, include, the language here is not like most or the bad people were this way or most people were this way. We all once lived this way and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And Ephesians chapter 2 is not the only place that this is made abundantly clear. Romans 3 verse 10, none is righteous. And if you're ready to argue with Paul about that, he goes on to say, no, no, not one. No one understands. Listen to this next phrase. No one seeks for God. People say, I was just seeking for God. Nope. You weren't seeking for God. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. 
no one does good, not even one. And in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, which you've heard me many times through the course of, just just in case you haven't, turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. If Ephesians 2 isn't clear enough and Romans 3 isn't clear enough, Romans 5 is just so crystal clear. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And verse 8 says, For God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And verse 10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, Shall we be saved by his life? Look in verse 6. What words describe you in verse 6? Weak and ungodly. What word describes you in verse 8? Sinners. What word describes you in verse 10? Enemies. And you've heard me say it. If, If you go to church here, you've heard me say this before. An enemy is the person who has their guns pointed at you. Enemy's not your friend. Enemy's the one who wants to destroy you. And while you may not remember, you may not think, well, I was never an enemy of God, yet you were. You were born into this world by nature, children of wrath and enemies of God. You were, like Paul, walking down your road, following a different master, not walking after God. And what happened in your experience Though it may not look like a blinding light and a loud voice and falling to your knees in the middle of the road, what happened is that God intervened. Back to Ephesians chapter 2. Back, we, know, we know Paul's story. Some of us need to become even better familiar with our story. Ephesians chapter 2. Right, We get to the end of verse 3. By nature you were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So how did you go from being that to now being a follower of Jesus Christ? You were a follower of the spirit of the air, the, the power of the air, prince of the air, spirit that now works. You, were, you followed, verse 2 makes it clear, you were following the prince of the power of the air. But you're like, but now I know that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. What happened? Look at verse 4. The beginning of verse 4 makes it clear what happened to you. But God, that's what happened to you. That's what happened to Paul. Paul was walking to Damascus, but God intervened and turned his life around. And brothers and sisters, you might, again, have grown up in a Christian home and known of Jesus your entire life. But at some point in your life, but God happened. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. Now, now the second half of verse 5 is connected to the but God, right? Paul talks like I do. Starts and then he interjects a bunch of stuff and then he gets back and then he interjects a bunch of stuff, right? Verse 4, let's start at verse 4 and pick up at that. I'm going to read the first two verses of verse, first two words of verse 4, and then I'm going to jump to the middle of verse 5. But God made us alive together with Christ. That's what happened to you if you know Christ as your Savior. God took a dead person and made them alive. He didn't make a sick, take a sick person and make them well. 
He didn't take a mediocre person and make them better. He took a dead person and made them alive. But God made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. Your testimony is far more like Paul's than you might realize. The details surrounding it might look very different. For many in this room, you were a very young person in a good Christian home when you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. But this story is still yours. You were by nature a child of wrath, and God intervened to open your eyes to understand that salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. But God made you alive in Christ. So your testimony is more like Paul's than you might realize. You weren't born a Christian. You haven't always been a Christian. You weren't born a person who was looking for God in a good home, but kind of couldn't help but become a Christian. God has broken into each of our lives the way he did with Paul. And your your experience, you, you might, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, okay? So your testimony is more like Paul's than you might realize. And your, your life-changing transformation should be like his as well. Your zealous transformation should be like Paul's as well. Paul's example of a life-changing encounter is what should be the fruit of a life that has been changed by God this way. Look, uh, if you're still in Ephesians chapter 2, because what Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10 are like the theology explaining what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. It's a theological unpacking of what's going on here in this moment. Verse 8, by grace you have been saved, uh, in Ephesians 2, verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of works, not a result of works, but, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 9 is making it a just crystal clear You are not saved by your works. And verse 10 is making it equally clear. If you are saved, you will work. Your good works do not save you, but if you are saved, your life will result in good works. It is what God changes you to be and do. Look in verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, if that's not clear enough, the next phrase, which God prepared beforehand. And if that's not clear, that we should walk in them. Paul's walking on the road to do the wrong thing. God intervenes, but God, and, 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 and the voice from heaven says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. And Paul goes to Ananias and says, um, 
Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling upon his name. And so Paul puts his faith in Jesus Christ and is converted. And now Paul is walking, and now Paul's life is one of absolutely passionate and zealous obedience to the will of God. His works are not what is saving him. He has been saved by God, and now his life is clearly changed. Is that Clear, is that understandable? Is it clear from the Bible? Um, I love the illustration, and I've used it in here a few times before, but for the, maybe, maybe our guests this morning haven't heard it, right? Imagine, um, imagine me coming, showing up this morning 20 minutes late, and, and I say, you know, I'm sorry I'm late. I was out helping someone change a flat tire. And, um, and I was, you know, taking the nuts off the tire, and one of the nuts had rolled out into the street, and I went out to get it just when one of the milk trucks were coming by at 75 miles an hour, and it hit me. I'm sorry that I'm late. Right? You, you would say, no, no one encounters a milk truck 75 miles an hour and then says, I'm sorry I'm late for church, right, and just strolls in unaffected by something that big, that powerful. Something that big and that powerful impacts you significantly. You are forever changed, right? You're dead, but if you're not dead, you are forever changed, right? Hang with my illustration. When, when we come into contact with the living God of the universe, universe, brothers and sisters, it changes us. I'm not talking about per- being perfect. I'm not talking about be- never struggling with sin again. I'm not talking about living a sinless life from there on out. I am talking about being changed at the very core of who you are, where you want to be a fo- You want the king to be the king of you. When he says do, you want to do. And when he says don't, you want to don't. <laughs> you don't want to do, maybe. <laughs> Uh, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I look at Angie more just to know that I'm getting a rise out of her. She teach, For those of you who don't know, she teaches English, so it's always fun to, to mess up the English language and then watch my wife try to deal with me. I do it at home as well, by the way. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, For the love of Christ controls us. What's, what's constraining? What's controlling? It's that I've been changed by God. Paul's fear of God leads him to being obedient during other things that are very fearful. I think sometimes we look at Paul in a situation like this and we're like, man, was he not afraid of anything? I don't know exactly how Paul was processing all of this. I'm guessing there was at least a little bit of human concern. I don't think as he was stretching out for the whips, he was like, oh boy, here we go. You know, this again. You see how many times how many times he's gonna hit me this time, you know? That guy over in Macedonia, boy, he could really lay it to me. Right? I don't I don't think he was just a glutton for punishment. I don't think he I, I think he was a human who had the appropriate amount of concern and fear. But there was someone whom he feared slash loved, right? In the Bible, the fear of the Lord and the love of God are like are, are the same thing. 
Paul knew the God that had arrested his attention on the road to Damascus, and he knew that that God had spoken to him, and he knew that that God had given him a mission, and so that there wasn't anything in this world that he could fear in an ultimate way because he had love and appropriate fear for the one true God. Brothers and sisters, this is our story as well. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've turned from your sin, if you've repented of your sin and confessed that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, your faith is in Him, then you know Him. And knowing Him motivates you to say, I'm, I'm in on your agenda. Your mission is my mission. And, and while your conversion, right, so our conversion is similar to Paul's in that we were running from God, and God stopped us and turned us around. But the, the details of the story are different, right? Blinding light, loud voice, go to Ananias' house, that sort of thing. The details are different. The details of Paul's mission for Christ are going to be different than yours and mine. But the principle is the same. We've been saved by God, and now we live all of our life how, in whatever area and sphere of influence God has us in to tell others about the King to tell others about King Jesus. In conclusion, <clears throat> when someone asks you about how you came to be a Christian, when someone asks you how they could become a Christian, when, when someone asks you about the gospel, what do you tell them? You tell them, well, I've, I've always been one. You might have always been in a Christian home. You might have grown up in a wonderful Christian setting, but you have not always been a Christian. Let me tell you what my testimony sounds like, okay? I was born into a wonderful Christian. This is, this is literally my testimony. This is, what I'm, this is Jeremy McMorris' testimony. I was born into a wonderful Christian family. I don't ever remember not believing in Jesus. I don't ever remember a time that I didn't know that there was a God and that Jesus was his son and that Jesus is the Savior. But I do remember as a young man when I was 12 years old realizing that I was a sinner. That I wasn't just like automatically in on this God thing. That in fact, I was against this God that I've always believed in. And that my sin actually separated me from that God that I believed in. I was a sinner and my sin was against God. And even though if you would have met me as a 12-year-old, you would have been charmed by me. Nice Christian boy, everybody liked me. I was that kind of kid, right? I had my guns pointed at God, though. My sin of pride, of lying, of lusting, of loving other things more than him, of people-pleasing, all of those sins were against him. And I was walking according to my father, the devil. My sins separated me from God. And one day God graciously opened my eyes to see that my sins were damning and that his son's gift was offered to me. Jesus' life and death and resurrection were what I needed, and they would be mine if I would simply repent of my sins and put faith in Christ as my Lord and Savior. And so I repented of my sins and am trusting in Jesus to be 
my Savior and am living with him as my Lord. I'm no longer under my father, the devil, but under my father, God. What's your testimony? I think that happened to me when I was 12. I think sometimes we get so hung up on, but I don't know if I remember the exact moment that I pr- I, I've talked to people before. I'm not sure if I prayed the right words. I'm not sure that I said the right thing, right? Like may, I think maybe it was when I was five or maybe it was when I was 10 or I prayed that prayer hundreds of times, thousands of times. So let me ask you this. This is the important question. In what or in whom are you trusting now for your salvation? Now. How, how do you know that you are born physically? You could look at a birth certificate. But how many of you remember the day you were born? You're like, I know I was born because I remember it. Anybody? That'd be weird if you did. I'm, I'm, it's probably good that we don't, right? That'd be a really weird thing to remember. How do you know... How can I know that you were born? You're alive. That's, that's one of the ways that I know that you were born is I can see that you are alive. So brothers and sisters, are you alive spiritually? Or do you feel dead? We are born again by God through the work of Jesus Christ when we turn from our sins and trust in Jesus Christ. Many of us know a date where we think, yeah, man, I, I understood I was a sinner. I was on my way to hell and I prayed and put my faith in Jesus Christ. And I know that I, that he is my Lord and my savior. And I, I even remember exactly when it happened. Others, you might think, I'm not sure if I remember an exact date, but I know that that is true of me. Friends, that's what I'm after here. And if that is true of you, you will follow Christ. You will go from following the prince and the power of the air to following Jesus Christ as your Savior, to obeying him, to keeping his commandments, to living in accordance with him. This happens. We are Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, um, that God made us alive together with Christ, with Christ. We are saved by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you have never turned from your sins and put faith in Christ as, their, as your Savior, let me, let me encourage you today to do that. You can do that, I mean, you can do that right here, right now. If you want to talk with someone, talk with me, or, or I can get you with someone that you would be comfortable with talking with about these things. So your conversion should be like Paul's and your life should be like Paul's as well. We might read the story of Paul and think, oh, his conversion and his zealous following of Jesus is totally unrelated to me. No, no, no. It's actually more like what your story should be than it is dissimilar. We're going to celebrate now in just a minute here. We're going to celebrate that work that Jesus did. Remember the life that you were supposed to live but failed to? Jesus is the one who came and lived for you. And the sacrificial death that you were supposed to pay for on the cross and don't have to now, Jesus is the one who has done that for you. And we remember that. We celebrate that with the Lord's table by celebrating communion. I'm going to ask Paula to come to the um, piano and she's going to begin playing here. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you haven't already picked up a a cup to celebrate communion with us this morning, um, when Paula begins playing, I'm going to ask the people in, in the side sections, if you haven't already picked up a cup, 
you can go and, and pick up one in the back. If you're a guest with us this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are welcome to celebrate the Lord's table with us. Um, and so, Paul, if you would begin playing, every head bowed and every eye closed for a moment. People on the outside edges, if you would go to the back, if you haven't already picked up a cup and do that. And let's just take a moment as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed for you, if you are a follower of Christ, to thank him for the work that he's done in your life. If, if you're not a follower of Christ, right here, right now, you can turn from your sins and trust in Jesus as your Savior. If there's sin in your life that you know you need to repent of, you can do that now as well. And then if you haven't picked up a cup already and you're in this, either of the center sections, you can go back and pick one of those up now as well. There are actually a couple of tables. There's one over here on the left on the other side of the sound booth as well. So there's one straight back and then there's one off to the left there in the back. And as you sit there, if you'd like to go ahead and prepare, it takes a second to get into these. Uh, there's a top layer of plastic that reveals a little white wafer. And then the next layer of plastic under that accesses the juice. And I know these are cumbersome, but they're more sanitary. We want to use these for the time being. It's a strange thing, isn't it? A little piece of bread, a little wafer. I'm not even sure what these are made out of, like styrofoam. And juice. That's kind of a strange thing to do, and I don't mean to be trite or silly. And yet it represents the, the most significant moment in human history where God, who chose to become man, gave his life so that we can be alive. Following Jesus is the, you get to live when you follow Jesus. I'm not a big fan of the book, Your Best Life Now, but the reality is true that when you follow Jesus Christ as your Savior, you finally get to live. Jesus did this very thing with his disciples. He took the bread and broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. Let's take this to remember the broken body of Christ. And he also took a cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me, and let's remember Christ's work on our behalf as we drink this together. And now, Jay, if you would put the words to the next song on the screen, I'll ask the music team to come up. We're going to sing our testimony together. And I want to read through it here. So these words that we're going to sing together, if you know Christ as